0: Good morning, and welcome to Awaken Church. Uh, if it's been a while, or if you don't, if it's your first time here, my name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here at Awaken, and we're starting off a new series today on a topic that we probably should have covered a few times over the course of the past few years, but simply haven't. And we're going through a teaching series this week, starting this week, on relationships. And I know, so most of the time when any church goes through a series on relationships, what happens is for those of us who aren't in relationship, we kind of feel like, and it's like, I know there's things that I could learn, but really what this does is just kind of make me feel a little bit left out. And I just want to start off before we even dive into this series and just tell you this one is going to be different because what we're doing with this series is we're flipping that idea on its head, because you know that's just what we like to do. So instead of teaching a series on relationships by you know talking about relationships, we're actually going to go in the opposite direction and talk about relationships through looking at relationships through the lens of singleness. So we're going to spend four years or four years, <laughs> not four years, <laughs> we're going to spend four weeks going through a series on relationship, looking at that idea through the lens of singleness. So we are not going to enter into marriage at all over the course of the next four weeks. That being said, for those of you who are married, I want you to hone in on a very important lesson that we're going to weave into the course of this four weeks. And that lesson for you married folks in here that I want you to draw out over the next four weeks is this. The reason why you are dealing with many of the struggles you're dealing with right now in marriage is because you didn't deal with them in your season of singleness. The reason why you are dealing with many of the problems you are dealing with right now in marriage is because you didn't deal with them during your season of singleness. But it's not too late. It's just a little harder. We're going to go through that. I'm going to explain and unpack all of this in just a little bit. Before we do, I want to say two more things before we dive in. First, this is going to be what we call an Awaken Q&A series. And what that means, if you haven't been with us for a while, is over the course of the year, we generally have a number of different series that we want to not be a monologue, oriented around a monologue, but a dialogue. And so that means that during the course of the teaching, if anything I say provokes you or provokes a question, comment, or thought, I want you to go ahead and text it to awakenqna at gmail.com. At the end of our teaching time, we're going to spend about five minutes or so, five to seven minutes, and go ahead and tackle those questions, comments, and or thoughts. If you forget where to text them to, they'll be on every single slide, so you won't miss it. So that's awakenqna. And then secondly... Um, I want to say this, too. Uh, So I know that I'm not cool anymore, uh, but I don't want you all to think that I've given up. So I'm still trying, right? Not to pose, not because I think I'm woke, but because I don't ever want to give up trying to understand what is going on with the next generation. Because, you know, I'm really excited about pastoring a church that's built to reach the next generation. So you're going to see this series crammed uh, with a lot of slang, dating terms and different things that I really don't know what I'm talking about. That being said, I just wanna say that up front because I don't wanna be pretentious and I also want to say, this is me trying. So if you're young, I'm gonna ask, could you just give me a little bit of grace, being an older guy, trying. And if you're older, I want to say this to you let me take on the embarrassment of trying so that you don't have to, right? Listen in. We're going to go through these and learn just a little bit. All right? So that's how we're going to move forward. With that, let's go ahead and dive in. So I decided to teach, uh, title this teaching today, Uh, Creeping Catfish. And,. uh, I want to talk about what these words mean, what creeping is and what catfishing is, and how that entangles not only into the idea of dating today, but also even how it ties into our teaching today. So dating in today's social media world is a bit crazy, uh, and rules, and what makes it crazy is that rules are being written and rewritten all the time. And so these two, and what's, what's, what happens when you redefine rules and rewrite them over and over again What is okay and what is not okay just kind of end up seeming like they're moving targets. And so these two words kind of capture, these two ideas kind of capture some of that tension of trying to figure out what is okay and what is not okay when we talk about the world of dating specifically. So creeping, when you creep, what you're doing is like you're rifling through someone's life by looking through their social media presence, right? And you're doing it mostly, if not purely, out of curiosity. It's voyeurism, right? It's just high-tech voyeurism where we're watching someone's life and looking through and rifling through someone's life without them knowing, catfishing is a bit different. Catfishing is when we create a false profile, a false sense of who we are online. We create a false identity. We make ourselves look different, typically for the purpose of luring someone into a relationship with you. So that's creeping, that's catfishing, okay? With that in mind, it is challenging to live in our world today when you never know who is watching, and you can't tell what is or isn't real. That's what these ideas capture. That's a problem. And again, if you're not on social media a lot, and I'm not, if I'm to be perfectly honest, it probably isn't all that big a problem for you. But it is nearly impossible today for young people in our society, in our culture, in our increasingly connected world, to be disconnected from those problems. Of not knowing who might be watching and not being able to tell what is or is not real. So, whenever you have questions surrounding this idea of what is or is not, who is not watching and what is or is not real. What is often helpful when you face times of uncertainties, you go back to what you know is sure and certain. So that's how we're going to begin this series because when, um, and this is really important because when most of us get in and when we think about relationships, most of us tend to get into relationships and out of relationships without a lot of thought, without a lot of thoughtful intent. And what I mean with that is instead of choosing our relationships with Intent and thoughtfulness, most of us fall into them. I happen to be a friend with this person because we're in the same class together. I'm friends with this person because we go to the same gym together. I'm dating this person because they asked, and you know, I really didn't have a great reason to say no. You know what I'm saying? We allow these things, and they just kind of happen to us, and we respond. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I'm not saying every single relationship we have should be thought out and we deliberate the pros and cons before we get into a relationship with someone. I'm just saying that if that's the way we engage in all of our relationships, we should be warned. And we probably shouldn't be surprised when some of those relationships blow up in our faces. And when they do, and they inevitably will, sometimes they won't have much of an effect Most of the time, it's going to hurt. And sometimes, it'll do more than hurt. It'll feel absolutely devastating. So, if we're going to start our series and our idea on relationships from a grounded place, saying that, As Christians, we want to start from a place of certainty, then the place that we inevitably must go is the book of Genesis. And that's how we're going to begin our series, and that's how we're going to begin this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and take it out and open it up to Genesis chapter 2, because that's where we're going to camp for the majority of the morning. Diving into verses that hopefully for most of us who have read the Bible, or even if we haven't read the Bible a lot, Uh, We've been through these verses. They're going to feel familiar, but I will bet you that at the end of our time, these will be verses that have felt familiar, but I'm understanding a little bit differently because I'm looking at them through a different lens today. So, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to begin with the end, okay? So, with the verse I want to end up at because I want you guys to know where we're going it's like what we do with google maps right you punch in the destination and then you get in your car and drive so that's what we're doing today i'm going to show you the destination and then we're going to get in the car to drive to get there and here's the destination genesis chapter two verse 18 then the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper who is just right for him so adam has been created Right? Born, breathed into life by God, Eve has not. And so the statement is, it is not good for man to be alone. So here's the destination. And before we get in the car and start driving, I want you to meditate upon a question first. Maybe it's a question you've already thought of. Kudos, we're on the same page. Maybe it's a question you haven't, and I want you to think about it now. And here's the question Why would God? create man alone if it is not good for man to be alone why would god create man alone if it is not good for man to be alone so let's give you a little context here god has spent six days creating the stars the moon the sun the earth the grass, the green things, the animals, and all the things in the earth. And each time after he has done so, after each day, he has said, it is good, right? And in that context, it's like, it's perfect. This is how I want it to be. And then he creates Adam alone. And then just a little while later, he says, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. Now we have a dilemma, don't we? Is it Is the reason why God created Adam Eve because he messed up? He wasn't thinking ahead and realized, oh, yeah, I made a mistake. I probably shouldn't have made him by himself. Really? Is that what we believe, that God doesn't have forethought? Or maybe you might think, well, maybe God just didn't have enough power to create Adam and Eve at the same time. We're not even going to go there, right? That's ridiculous. Or maybe it was an Adam issue Maybe when Adam was created, it was fine for him to be alone, but then something happened to Adam, so it wasn't good that he was alone, right? I don't think that's true either. It's an interesting question, isn't it? Why would God create Adam alone if it is not good for man to be alone? Got it? So that's our destination. Now we're going to start driving. And the way we drive is by going backwards, starting at verse 4. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Four. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living man. so this is the story of god creating man from dust and i say man i mean yes it was physically man but mankind right this is man being created from dust one of the important things to realize about god is that god has his own sense of time and god has his own sense of timing right and these verses reflect that so as an example right here before creating man god said look Wild plants and grains were not yet growing, and there wasn't any rain at the start of creation. Why? Because people weren't there yet to cultivate the ground that I had made. It wasn't the right time for plants and grains, so they didn't grow. It wasn't the right time for rain, so God used springs instead. It has nothing to do with whether those things are good or bad. It just wasn't the right time for them. So the answer to our question, tentatively, right, is that of, of why would God create man alone if it's not good for man to be alone, is that God created Adam and not Eve because it was not yet the right time for him to have her. Why wasn't it the right time? Because there were things God wanted to build into Adam before he was ready for relationship. There were things God wanted Adam to understand before God would give him the gift of Eve. In the same way, there are things that I believe God wants to build into us in our season of singleness to prepare us for relationship. And he doesn't give us the gift of relationship until those things are built is the ideal way that it works. Now, we sometimes force the issue. And we take things into our own hands, and we take matters into our own hands, but that is not necessarily God's desire for us. And so what we're going to walk through is even through these passages between Adam's creation and the gift of Eve to be able to see how God and what God instilled in Adam and to see how those things connect with us as well, that they are things that God wants to build in us during our season of singleness. And if we're past that season or we've missed that season or we're not in that season right now, these are things that looking back God says, I wanted you to see victory in before relationship. And if you didn't get them, maybe it's time to revisit them now. First, God wants to give you a place. So the next verse, Genesis 2, 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. So God creates Adam, and then he creates a place for him, and then this garden of Eden, and then he takes Adam and puts him there And says, this is where you are to be. You know, sometimes as Christians, we don't understand the importance of place. And when I say place, I don't simply mean Jacksonville, Florida. Although Jacksonville, I mean, come on. It's, it is what it is, right? So it's, it's a city. But when I say place, I also mean like the job that we have. The school that we're attending. The neighborhood that we live in. These are also tied to this idea of Place and our mindset too often can be I want to get out of this place. Ah man, I don't want to be in Jackson, I want to be somewhere else. I don't want to be in my workplace, I want to be some working somewhere else. I don't want to be at this school, I want to be somewhere else. And what we do when we do that is we're not realizing that God has put us in a place for a reason. There are things that God is wanting to build into your life in this place right now that we need to open our eyes to and recognize so don't ask god to leave your place ask the lord instead god what do you want me to learn while i am in this place because god gave adam a place before he gave adam relationship and i believe that's going to be true of us as well to understand how whatever place god puts us we're not looking to leave it We're looking to say, God, what is it you want to build into my life while I am here? Secondly, God provides for you. So the next verse, verse 9, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here Adam says, I'm going to place you in this garden, and I don't want you to think about being someplace else. I just want you to think about what God are you doing with me while I am here. And then God says, while I put you here, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide all that you need. I've got to cause plants to grow and trees, and it didn't take months to grow. God provided it immediately. And this is a good principle for us to learn about God, right? And this is why it's important to know where our, to know our place, because this is where God is working. And God is going to provide for you when you are in that place he wants you to be, because God always bankrolls his projects. That's the idea. God will always provide for the things that he commands you to do. That is true throughout the scriptures. If God tells you to do it, he will also provide the means for it to be accomplished. Those means might not be easy, they might not be simple, but God will always bankroll his own projects, right? He will always provide the means to accomplish what he has told you to do. Now, I want you to understand, that doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna bankroll your plans. And that's sometimes where the disconnect comes, right? It's like, oh, I've got my ideas, and I wanna do this, and God, yeah, could you just provide and take care of me while I do this? No, 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 there's no promise there. But what God tells you he's going to do in you and with you, he will certainly provide. And this is something else that's really important for us to learn in our season of singleness, right? That when I am in need, I look first to the Lord. And you've got to win here. Place, provision, and then third, God gives a sense of purpose. Genesis 2.15. Then God, I'm sorry, is it 2.15? That can't be right i put that i might have misquoted anyway it should be the next verse right then the lord placed the man in the garden of eden to tend and watch over it so god gives man purpose god gives adam work so he's given a place he's provided for him and he's like all right i put you here in this place and i've given you everything you need not so you can sit and chill out in luxury there's work to be done And he places Adam in that work you understand isn't busy work. In the original language, so what what happens is God says, here's the the place I've given you. I want you to tend and watch over. There's two different uh, words that are used in the Hebrew that conveys that idea. The first one, this idea of tend, is Avad. And what Avad it means, it's conveying the idea of I am serving another with my work. In other words, I am doing my work. Under the authority of another person. That's who I'm doing this work for. That's an important thing for us to realize. That whatever our purpose is. Whatever it is that God has called us to do. And set us to do. We are first doing it under the authority of God. The second idea is to watch over it. Right? And this is represented by the Hebrew word shamar. And shamar conveys the idea. I am in charge of. I have responsibility for, right? So when you put these two ideas together, you see the uniqueness of mankind. That in all creation, we are the only creatures ever made by God who are both under and over. Everything in all creation is under God's authority, and we are too. But we are unique in that we've also been given authority over. That's what it talks about in Genesis 1, right? That I've given you, I've created you uh, man and woman, to rule over the earth. This is what Adam had to discover before God gave him Eve. And I would argue that in the scriptures, it's uh, uh, that I would argue for you in your season of singleness as well, this is really important for you to discover while you're in this season, right? Do you understand? And here's what this all entails. When I'm under authority do I understand that my work has been given to me to bless God and that I do everything I do is under his authority? Do you understand that? Because this is the season for you to learn it. And secondly, do I know what God has given me to do, what I am to have authority and responsibility over? You need to know that as well. Because if you don't know, and then you bring that I don't know into relationship and into marriage— your marriage is going to have problems because your wife is going to have a hard time trusting and following you if you don't know. And your husband is going to be frustrated at you, wife, if you don't know because he's never going to be enough for you and he won't know why. Purpose before relationship. That's the proper order of things. And I'm not saying you have to understand all of it perfectly, right? I don't know how many of us can say, oh, I perfectly understand God's purpose for me. But if you have no clue, then you have no business being in a committed relationship, much less marriage. Place, provision, purpose, and finally, boundaries, Boundaries, so Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God has created everything and it is all good. Sin has not yet entered into the world. Everything is perfect. And so here God is, he takes Adam, he puts him in the garden, he says, you have freedom here in every area but one. Why one? Why would God put Adam in a place and give him freedom and then put limits to that freedom in there? The answer is simple. Because God loves us. Because God loves us, he gives us limits. If you don't understand that idea, then you're probably not a parent. Because as parents, we get it, right? We understand that love has to set limits, and we must set limits for our kids in order to protect them, in order to watch over them. It is an expression of love, not anger, hatred, bitterness, or anything else like that at all. And if you want an idea of how messed up this world is that we're living in today, watch what they're trying to do when they're undermining this God-given principle. The world is encouraging parents to lift this idea of limits from your kids you know what let your kids decide what's right and wrong don't discipline them don't spank them you know let their kids decide that's okay let your kids decide what gender they're going to be let your kids define their own identity and if they want to think that they're a cat fine just treat them like a cat that is stupid that is absolutely ridiculous. I'm okay with being on record for this, right? That is absolutely cr- In fact, I dare anyone who parents this way, show me your kids and I'll show you mine, right? You make a decision. <laughs> parents have a responsibility to discipline their kids, to teach your children what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is healthy and what is not healthy. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. That's your responsibility as parents. Your kids, they're not very smart. That's not a slam against them. They're babies, their children, their brains are developing. That's the way it works. That's not insulting. That just reminds you all the more that as parents, you have a job to do. Do it. Don't be lazy. Don't be irresponsible. Take, that, take responsibility over your parents and set limits for them. Every good parent understands this. We don't let our kids play in a busy street where cars are flying back and forth. We don't let our kids eat candy all day, every day, right? We don't let our kids drink poison. We understand that love sets limits, and God does too. Okay, I don't want to rant anymore on that one. I just want to say love sets limits. The fact that God gives Adam a restriction in the garden before sin shows us that setting boundaries is a good thing, not a reaction to sin. Boundary setting is good and appropriate. Limit setting is good and appropriate within the context of love. And as a single person, if you are in that season of singleness, you have got to understand this because you are free, because you have a whole host of opportunities, and you need to say, where does God draw the lines, and let me choose to honor them because I want the type of relationship he promises I can have. I can settle for something else, and if you want to settle for something else, you can go down another road. You know what maturity is, young people? You know what maturity means? Maturity is knowing that just because I can do something doesn't mean I should. And just because I have the right to do something doesn't necessarily mean that I do it if it's not good for me or if it's not good for the people around me. That's what maturity means. Maturity says I recognize the consequences of what I do and I will self-limit for either my good or for the good of others. That is maturity, and that is what God wants to instill in you in this season of your life. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, I have the right to do anything, they say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Learn that lesson when you were young. Learn that lesson when you are single, and you will have the required maturity to be able to enter into a meaningful relationship. So one of the ways I want to share that with you is by having my daughter Talia come up here and share. So she's just going to share a bit of her story. I promise you I didn't tell her what to say. You're going to probably tell when you hear her share, but I didn't tell her what to say. We did dry run it because I wanted for what she had to share to be clear and to be concise, but these are her words, her story, and I hope it inspires you. So.
1: Hello, my name is Talia. I'm a pastor here at Awaken Church. Um, <laughs> um, so I wrote it down because I can't like say it off the top of my head. Um, but this morning I just wanted to talk to you guys about, um, like my dad said, like what it's like being single. Um, first of all, if I wanna start by saying I love being single. It's really fun. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. Um, so one of the things when I was growing up is when I was in high school, my dad had a rule that, like, we weren't allowed to date in high school, which I was very thankful for at the time, and I'm very thankful for now, um, because that would be, like, my excuse to, like, get out of it. Like, if someone asked me out, I'd be like, oh, sorry, you can't date in high school. Also, you're not a Christian. Um, (laughs) so, um, I definitely think that's something, that's one of the best decisions I've made. Um, and... Sorry, I'm like all nervous now. <laughs> um so yeah, and then like seeing people like all my friends like date in high school only to like break up and like be sad for like m- like a month later. I'm like, I don't want that for myself. Like I like I know, not to sound like prideful, but like I know I deserve better than that. Like I know God has something better than that for me. Um and also like my parents like making that rule was a really good. Thing for like to guard my heart and like they weren't just making it like oh I don't want you dating in high school I don't want to deal with like if you get broken up with um, so, and like also like the Bible says in Proverbs um, 4 23 to like guard your heart um, so I think that was one of the one of the ways that it was really good um, that I didn't date in high school and so however <laughs> in my senior year um, as I was transitioning into college and it was like the last um, the last, last year of high school um, there was a guy that asked me out, and I was like, oh, you know, like, sorry, I can't date in high school. And then he's like, oh, but you're going to college soon. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, I can't. So that was, like, a time that I really needed to find a reason why I didn't want to date still. Um, so, yeah. Like, that, I heard a teaching once um, at either like, some conference that I went to, and it was, um, one of the pastors was talking about, how you need to be chasing after God, and if you meet someone along the way who's chasing after God just as intensely and just as diligently as you are, then that's, like, what a relationship should be about. Like, you should be chasing God, first of all, and then if you happen to meet someone along the way that's chasing after God as hard as you, then that's just what a relationship should look like um, as Christians. Um, yeah, this also helped me and challenged me not only to wait for the right person, but also just to put my life in God's hands. Um, that's just made it so easy for me to just be like, God, like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I trust you completely. I'm happy in my state of life. And um, I just want to focus on doing what God has for me and what um, just focusing on figuring out what God's plan for my life is. So, yeah. And for all the single people out there... <laughs> Um, just know that if I promise like at least for me if you put your trust in God and you just leave this in his hands and you don't even have to worry about it like he will show you his will for your life and it will be so amazing and it's just gonna be great. (laughs) Thank
0: Thank you sweetheart. I uh I appreciate your boldness. Um, I appreciate the thoughtful way that uh, my daughter, my daughters, my children, all of them have chosen to be involved in this idea of relationship. It's really interesting. I'll just, a little side note, in middle school, when Celia was in middle school, we were thinking of having her go into high school, and she, they knew about this rule. She was the only one of our kids who said, wait, so what if, da, da, da what if this happens? What if this guy asks, and ran through all the scenarios, is it okay to go to this dance with them? Because that's not really dating. She's trying to find a way. And so what has been gratifying for me and why I wanted her to share, um, even with this idea of limits in our head, is one of the things parents do is we teach our kids what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes they don't see it, or not even necessarily right and wrong, what we believe is best for them. And to be able to see how before, it was a rule she had to follow, and she followed it because she loves us and honors us, which I'm, I'm grateful for. I think there's a place for that. But then to be able to see even more so, now it's hers. It's her value. We're not putting this on her anymore, but she's still choosing to live by them because this is not just our rules. It's become her value. And I think that's really important, and this is what God wants to build in us as well. And this is what obedience will sometimes feel like, too. It's like, I'm just doing what God says. Honestly, I don't see the point of it. But I'm going to do it anyway because this is what God says. And that's fine. I'm just saying there's a place for that, and that's okay. That's how my kids started, too. But over time, as you see the good that comes from obedience, it'll become your value. And I think that's when it really becomes powerful. So... Um, In a few moments, we're going to tackle our Awaken Q&A. So if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, if anything's provoked a question, prompted a thought, or want, go ahead and text it now to awakenqna at gmail.com. And as you do so, I want to close with this. Why would God create man alone if it is not good for man to be alone? That's where we started this morning. And the way we is grounded in this verse, right, in Genesis 2.18, which is our ending point today. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Now, we're going to take that verse, we're going to develop and understand and dive deeper into what God intended and what his heart is behind this verse over the course of the series. But as we saw this morning, the main reason why God created, if the main reason why God created mankind was for relationship, then he would have created Adam and Eve at the same time. If that's the most important thing, then God would have made it happen from the beginning. It wasn't a restriction on God's power or anything like that at all. God didn't. And so if God didn't, that must mean something. And if it means something, it should mean something to us. God gave Adam a place to ground him in his singleness. God gave him provision to remind him, always look to me to provide. And there are some marriages where that, hasn't, that lesson hasn't been learned, and they look to each other to fulfill all of their needs, and that's a reason why their marriage is messed up, right? God says, I give you provision because I want you to always be reminded I am the one who provides. God gave man purpose, right, before relationship to say, I want you to know that the reason you were alive is not simply to be a husband or wife. There is more than that. So even after you're married, be on mission." know why I've made you, right? And then boundaries, to realize that freedom and love has to have limits for us to be able to enjoy them the right way. Place, provision, purpose, and boundaries. And any woman or any man who learns these lessons in their season of singleness, and season of singleness is if you're single, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're divorced, that's singleness, right? Right? If you learn these lessons in that season of your life, you are going to be greatly blessed in your relationships. And if that's the season you're in right now, can I just say, stop longing for what you don't have and focus on what God does have for you right now. We live in a world of creepers and catfishers, right? A world filled with people obsessed with showing off their best lives, which is easier to do now more than ever because the accessibility social media provides. We can put pieces of ourselves out there and give the impression that that's what our lives look like. And what it does, it divides people into two groups, people who watch, and that's all of us, right? We've all been creepers. I don't, is there anyone in this room who hasn't like, rummaged through someone else's social media lives? I mean, probably not. And that we're all showers as well. Many of us are catfish too. And what that means is that we're not trying to necessarily be fake, but we do show off our best lives, which can sometimes mean inauthenticity. And my point in highlighting these two types of people isn't to condemn them. It's just to drive home a point, right? Your best life doesn't come from what you post or don't post on social media. Your best life comes from when you orient your lives around what God has for you. That's where your best life really comes from. And for those of you who are living in a season of singleness, learn the lessons God has for you in this time so that your feet will be set upon a firm foundation. And when that relationship comes, you are ready to make the most of it. I wanna say one last thing before we wrap up and go into uh, Q&A, right? For those of you who are already married, I do want to say just a little bit for you. For those of us who are already married, I want to say this. You already know a secret that most single people don't, right? And here's the secret that you already know. Marriage by itself doesn't necessarily make you a better person. That's not what marriage is designed to do. What marriage is designed to do is expose who you really are. So if you've got good stuff in your life, your marriage is going to be built on that good stuff. If you've got bad stuff in your life, your marriage is going to force you to deal with it, right? That's what marriage does. Is it exposes you. There's no hiding anymore who you are. And if you're looking back and you've heard this stuff this morning, you're like, you know what? There are things I don't know if I ever really got resolved in my season of singleness. It's not too late. Tackle them now. But as I said earlier, it's probably going to be a little bit harder because now you've got someone who's watching your every move, right? So just live with it. to become one. And they're probably going to have a comment or two or many on how you're doing it. Well, you got to live with that too, right? That's the issue. But two has become one, deal with it together. That's the blessing of marriage, right? Is to say, you know what? If we're to be perfectly honest, there are things we didn't deal with before and we should have, but now we have the opportunity to do it together. But let's just not shove it under the rug. Let's deal with it and learn, right? And go through and realize it might be harder now because we got some habits and we got things and now it's two people involved and not just one. It's Okay work through the blessing of marriage to see that happen. So anyway, I'm going to wrap up today. We're going to go ahead and tackle Q and A. And uh, so let me go ahead and, and hit that real quick. Oh, man, I ran a bit longer than I thought I did. I was, I'm sorry, guys. Okay. You're still doing the introduction, but I'm already so excited. Thank you for tackling this important subject from the lens of singleness. Sweet. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. I'm excited to do so as well. Um, Thanks for that encouragement. Um, What if you're married and trying to figure out some of those purposes and boundaries with your spouse? How do you practically do that? Um such a great question and i'll say too we're going to tackle this more over the course of the series So this is just a one. This is just like the appetizer. It's not the full meal So we're going to develop this further But I think what I shared at the end is probably going to be my best counsel for you The challenge in dealing with these things and trying to figure them out in marriage is when we're single I i'm not distracted by anything else. I just have to focus on what just me and the lord What is it you want to say god i'm going to do it? Now that you're married, it's a bit distracted, right? That's what it ta- God talks about in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, that marriage means my attention is divided, my, uh, and so it's more challenging, plus you have someone watching you every move, uh, going through every decision, making judgments on what you decide, you know, all that stuff, work through it anyway, right? You're together, you're one, figure out in that oneness how to work through these issues and realize that if you haven't seen this area conquered, odds on bet, your spouse hasn't either. So, and if they have, fantastic. Let them be a a strength for you and a guide. So, you said maturity self-limits. Does that include the time when you signed up for that country club? You know, I share my life with you. I bear my soul. That was a very bad decision. I chose not to listen to my wife. One of the very few times in my life, I chose to... Go against my wife's counsel and input. And I've learned that lesson in a hard way. So I appreciate that reminder. Not really. But, okay. What what steps should you take if you're married and didn't discover your purpose beforehand? How do you navigate that? So... I shared earlier that if you walk into marriage without understanding your purpose, if you're the husband and you haven't discovered that, what you're doing is you're making it very hard for your wife to trust and follow you, right? Which is the command that God's given to her. And I just think, don't make it difficult, right? I think this is why it's so important for you to spend time. And when I say that, I mean that my purpose isn't wrapped up in a job, right? I shared once that... uh, you know, my job is to, at the time, when I, I went for my interview, I'm not saying do this because it was really stupid, but in my interview, someone asked me like, what do you want to see? How is, how is uh, your life going to be fulfilled by this job? And I'm like, well, I don't know that that's what I'm looking for this job to do. Uh, my job is to be a counselor. My career is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what I really want to be all about. And so she didn't take it very well in the interview. I didn't get that job, but whatever. So, um, <laughs> but I think that's what, what we believe, right? That what is our lives to be all about? Where to do what the Lord wants for us to do, and we'll take any job along the way, right? Uh, So I think for men, you need to discover that sense of purpose because it'll help bring your career and the things that you do into perspective. Women, if you haven't discovered it and you went into marriage thinking, well, my husband's going to tell me what my purpose is, and then when we have kids, my purpose is really to be a wife and a mom, I'm just saying there is going to be some unhealthiness built in there because you're looking to him to satisfy that purpose gap. When God was the one designed to give it to you, and what ends up happening is you're going to frustrate your husband, like I shared earlier, by expecting him to do more for you and to do things for you that he was never made to do. And I think that's why, women, this is important for you as well. And it might be easy to push off because, well, I don't have a job. I don't even have time for anything else besides being a wife and mom. And I'm like, I get it, but your purpose goes beyond being a wife and mom. God has made you and crafted you and gifted you for a reason. If you're not exercising that or operating from an understanding of that, you're going to find something missing, and you're going to seek it from your husband, and you're going to self-sabotage when you do that, because that's not what he's made to fully provide. So we're going to go through that more over the course of the series, I, I get, but hopefully that's a good starting point. Um, Oh man, I'm running out of time. Uh, Do you have any insight in the balance between God providing and our part to work to provide? How do we know when to just let up to God to provide and what we should work hard in doing? Um, Yeah, so that's a layered question. I'd say God is the one who I shared earlier, right, that he will provide for your needs. Sometimes what we define as need is probably should better be fitting in a want arena. And then sometimes, too, I think, I don't think anything sheds from us our responsibility to work hard. I think what we work hard at is where we need to understand how we're under the authority of God. I think Does that kind of help make sense? So in this question, I'd say the idea of working hard, you work hard wherever God's got you. And even if it's like this is not God's end state for you, God's got something he wants you to learn in this. I work for... Um, like nine months when I first got married, working as a temp at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, being a gopher guy, right? And I had someone come up to me. It's like, hey, you know what? Have you ever thought about going to college? I'm like, lady, I have three degrees. What are you talking about here? And uh, so anyway, but I didn't say that because I was not right. And so I think, but God taught me about humility, right? And, and there's things I learned in that season of my life that was really important. And I didn't seek to get out of it as much as like I knew this wasn't where I wanted to be. I was looking for other jobs, but I wasn't like. You know, I understood that in that moment, God had things to teach, and he wasn't gonna release me until I learned them. So, um, I'm gonna tackle just one more, I'm so sorry. Um, So, uh, single gal here, so how do I respond and correct lovingly a sister who believes that her highest, emphasized highest calling is to be a wife and a mother? Ooh, how about I do it for you? Your highest calling is not to be a wife and mother, right? Your highest calling is to be a, a daughter of Christ, right? A daughter of the King, an ambassador for Him, right? Uh, I'm not trying to disparage being a wife and mother; those are really, really important things. Those are important roles that you play. But if that is all you are, and that's how you define your life, I'm just telling you, it's not going to be not going to be enough, and you're going to put more pressure on your husband and your children than you should, right? Because now your successfulness is defined by how well your husband is doing or how well your children is doing, and that puts on them a burden they shouldn't have to bear. It's your issue. You have to take the time to wrestle with God. Lord, what have you made me for, right? And when you put it on them, they're carrying a weight they weren't meant to bear. That is your bad, not theirs, okay? All right, I need to wrap up. Uh, Let me close out, and then we'll have Larry finish out with some announcements. Lord, thank you so much for this time, for this morning, for the opportunity to spend the next four weeks diving into this topic of relationship, looking at it through the lens of singleness. That's really exciting, God, and I just pray that by your spirit, you would lead us in grace through this series, that the words spoken and the heart shared would not be man's wisdom or thoughts, but what you want to speak into our lives. And I just pray for tremendous grace during this time, and I pray for these saints, married or unmarried, uh, single, divorced, dating, engaged, wherever they might be in their lives, that they would be able to draw out and learn what you desire to teach them, and that for us as the church, as the body, that we would seek you first and fully um, and look to you to be the God that meets our needs and cares for us and loves us and and not necessarily the things around us, God. I pray that you bless our relationships and uh, that you give us courage and strength, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.